0: So, I'm sure sure that no few of you are aware that um, when marine researchers send out, send down, I should say send down, send down these robots down into the dark, deep waters of the oceans, it is hardly uncommon at all for them to report back, oh my goodness, we have spotted something previously unknown to us as, as scientists something new we have discovered because of course there's just so so much down there uh, in the the deep Uh, similarly when astronomers uh, take their telescopes and gaze out into the heavens to even from here if you will explore the galaxies that are all around us and so far beyond us they too find themselves oftentimes discovering things that up to that point were not just unknown but perhaps even in unseen because of course again it's there's just so much out there so much beyond us and now in both cases and as we think about that as average folks um, how should we respond to that sort of discovery and the, the revelation that there's so much down there and so much out there so much more than we thought so much more than we know well a right response i would say a sane response would be Wonder. Uh, Wonder and curiosity and humility. Because again, we're coming to understand how little we actually know. We're coming to understand that our knowledge is so much less than we thought. Now, tied to that, I'll admit it's a it's a jump here, but, but tied to that, related to that, is this. Not only are, is it is it reasonable to recognize that we know a whole lot less than we thought, our dependence is a whole lot more than we thought. As creatures before our Creator, before the Lord, our dependence specifically upon him upon god alone is a whole lot greater greater than we know so much more so much more than we know and with that in mind i want to take you to john's gospel now those of you who were here last week i know this is summer and i mentioned this last week this is the last week was the first installment in the summer sermon series yeah, I, had to think, I know there's three s's there so, so the summer sermon series And that was the first installment of that, and so this is sort of week two. That was the introduction to the I Am statements in John's Gospel. And last week we were looking at something just right up, right in your face that Jesus said quite explicitly regarding that. Uh, This week we're beginning to look at some of those metaphorical statements that Jesus makes that are uh, within the the corpus of the I Am statements. And this is the first one that you find, the first one that you find in John's Gospel. In John 6... John 6, beginning in verse 22, going all the way through verse 59, we have this first of the I am's. And I'll go ahead and tell you what it is. I am the living bread. Now, as I read this, listen for, tune your ear to, the number of times Jesus uses that word, bread, the number of times that you hear imagery of eating and partaking Uh, And and that sort of thing, it's, it's full all through here, okay? So John 6, starting in verse 22, hear now God's word. "'On the next day the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks.' So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet... So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that the one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread... Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Well, we need to pray, so can we do that for a moment? Lord Jesus, in some ways, we just hear these words and they roll right off of us. But that certainly was not the case for the people who heard them for the first time. So would you be so gracious as to help us hear this moment, to hear these words as though for the first time? And the edginess of it, the wonder of it, the beauty of it, the conviction, the comfort, all of it that should come from what we're hearing, would you do it? Would you pour out your blessing, your kindness here? upon even us, that we might have ears with which to hear, and that you would change us from the inside out, that we would know you as the true bread. We pray in your name. Amen. Let's just dive in here. What is bread? What is bread, and why does Jesus use that image to describe himself? Now, our first thought might be to go down this road okay? And this would go, this first idea, this first impulse would go something like this. Well, bread is food. Food nourishes. Food is necessary. Food is essential. Food fills. Food fulfills. That's what Jesus does. Therefore, Jesus is bread. Now, all that's true, but it doesn't go far enough. That's not what Jesus is getting at here in this passage. There's more going on than just to say Jesus fulfills. There's a lot more going on here in this passage than just that. So let's set the first thought to the side and now move to our second thought, a revised thought. And here what we need to do is adopt a posture that you often have to do in John's Gospel and that is of reading broad and reading back. Reading broad and reading back. Reading broad Big passages of Scripture. You thought I read a lot just a moment ago. To really get at this, you really actually have to read all of John 6. We only read the second half. You have to read the entirety to start with the feeding of the 5,000. And then, so that's the sign, the wonder, the miracle. And then comes now what we've just read a few moments ago, and that is the explanation. Jesus making clear, or at least trying to, to those who would have ears to hear. What does that sign Signify What is it pointing to? What is it about? So that would be reading broad. But in addition, in John's but you also have to read back. Go back in time. Take the whole corpus of history of God's dealings with his people. In this case, going back to the time of the Exodus. Going back to the time of God's provision for his people in the wilderness, the sending of bread from heaven, the manna. That, too, is very much tied into what's going on here. And, and it would seem that the people actually grasp something of that because they mention that. You know, and it show us a sign, you know, Moses did this and da-da-da-da-da, and Jesus. Jesus knows that. He knows they're coming back, and he intentionally leans into that. But as is oftentimes the case in John's Gospel, there's some fuzziness there's some murkiness on the part of the of the hearer and their ability to grasp in all of this what are we seeing what is jesus conveying he is the bread of life jesus is the bread of life and he wants us to embrace this that we might live it's very simple he is the bread of life and he longs that his people that we would embrace this that we would know life that we would live now, to get at this, we're going to talk about three different things over the next few minutes. And this is what's in your outline if you printed it out or if you, brought, if you picked, up one, uh, picked one up on your way in. So, first point, the necessity of this bread. The absolute necessity of this bread. That's the first thing we need to talk about. Second thing is the provision of this bread, how it comes. And thirdly, okay, how should we respond? The partaking, the partaking of the spread. How does it become ours? Okay, so you have the necessity, the provision, and the partaking. So first, the necessity of the spread. It is clearly what Jesus has in mind here. It's part of the imagery. It is absolutely essential. Without it, come dire consequences, the most dire of consequences. Case studies. Let's just look, think about two. I've alluded to them already. So in the most recent possible memory for Jesus's hearers in that moment. Just a few days before, on the other side of the lake, you had the multiplication of five loaves and two fish. You can go back and re- read the account later today if you wish. You, you have the, the masses that are fed through this miracle. Okay, so That's the, the, the most recent memory. You have these people, it's, it's too far away, it's too late in the day for them to get food. Jesus takes what little they have, multiplies it, and there's more than enough for everyone. Okay. Need. The need is clear. The need is clear. Going even into deeper memory. I alluded to this already. Uh, the deliverance. God's people, they're, and they're wandering uh, out there in, in the, the desert, in the, in the wilderness, after the exodus, but in the larger context of the exodus. The deliverance, God's deliverance of his people from centuries of bondage and slavery in Egypt. He brings them out, and then what happens? This is so true to us, our own hearts. They begin whining. They begin complaining. Oh, you brought us out here to starve. And what does he do? He provides, literally, bread from heaven. The manna. The manna. Despite, despite all of their complaining. Those are case studies. That's all part of a greater pattern that we see here. Of of our dependence, of of the people's dependence upon the Lord and His moving into that. You can keep your thumb here in, uh, in John 6. Let me just read a short text from 2 Kings 4. And it's going to sound very familiar to you here, uh, whether you've ever read anything out of 2 Kings, but, but just the, the cadence, the flow of what happens here in this event as, uh, as recorded. Second Kings chapter 4, starting in verse 42. A man came from Baal Shalishah, bringing the man of God, that's Elisha the prophet, Bread of the first fruits, twenty loaves of barley, and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And Elisha said, Give to the men that they may eat. But his servant said, How can I set this before a hundred men? So he repeated, Give this to the men that they may eat, for thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left. So he set it before them, and they ate and had some left according to the word of the Lord. Does that sound familiar? With the, the experience of the prophet, we see this dependence upon the Lord. We see it also in, in an ancient Jewish prayer passed down through the years. Maybe some of you have heard this. It goes like this. Blessed art thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the earth. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the earth. Or, if you, maybe a prayer you're a little bit more familiar with, one that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, a template from which we're to draw some of our own prayer in our own prayer life. Give us this day our daily bread. The point being in all of this, our absolute dependence upon the Lord, the, uh, the absolute necessity of his provision. I was reminded of that acutely just this past week. You can go ahead and pop that slide up now. I was reminded of that acutely just this past week. Sarah and I were out for a walk one morning with our dogs. Uh, She spotted on the side of the road this little baby bird, a hatchling, couldn't have been more than just a couple days old, on the side of the road. Now I still have no idea how that little thing ended up there, but it was clearly orphaned. So I picked it up, kept it warm, brought it home. Emma? And all her skill sets, fed it, got it down to a wildlife rehab center, and I trust the little fellow's doing fine now. Take a look at that picture. I've been thinking a lot about that little bird over the last few days. It's an image of absolute helplessness and dependency unable to care for itself in any meaningful way whatsoever. And you know where that's taken me? That's me. That's me. And every one of us, every single one of us is captured in that image of that little hatchling, no more than just A day or two old. You can go ahead and take it off. That's the beginning. That's the first part. Recognizing that. Owning that. Embracing that. Admitting that. Is the first part in knowing Jesus as the bread of life. Knowing our absolute necessity. The absolute necessity. Our absolute dependence upon him in every way. As far as the entire person is concerned, physically and spiritually. And he longs that we would know him, know him as the bread of life, that indeed we would have life. Do you know him? Let's push on to the second point. Not just the necessity of this bread, but his provision, the provision, his provision of the bread. Uh, this is where, when you going back to John 6... And you read the exchange between Jesus and the people, uh, as is the case uh, with you may think back if you've read much of John's Gospel in John three with in, with Nicodemus, and John four with the Samaritan woman at the well. Uh, Jesus is having to uh, lend some clear, cl- clarity, some clarity to the confusion of the person with whom he's engaging. Images are spoken of. They, they grab the image and run one way. Jesus has to, you know, kind of grab and pull them back in, a, in another direction. That's what you see in what's going on here with this image of the bread, the image of the eating, the image of, 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 of the manna. And in doing so, what Jesus shows here is a couple of things, who he is and what he does, who he is and why he came, who he is, his identity and, and his mission, and some pretty startling things. We touched on some of this last week, and I need to say it again. So first, who is he? This one who comes and provides this, this bread. This one who, by the way, is saying, I don't just provide it, I am it. I don't just give you bread, I am the bread. Who does he say that he is? Well, just in using the, the, the phrasing of, in, in saying, I am, uh, immediately it's taking the hearers back again, like we spoke of last week, to Exodus 3. The Lord's appearing to Moses at the burning bush. That's clearly implied here for if you've got a, a Jewish ear, and that's how you're, you're hearing this. But he makes it more ex- explicit than just that. For instance, verse 33, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then verse 48, unless you were confused, I am the bread of life. So in what Jesus is saying here, he is certainly alluding to but also expanding on this imagery of um, the manna, the bread come down, come down from heaven, and he's saying, "It's, it's me? And the crowds get it to a degree. The crowds hear to a degree what he is saying. They comprehend something of his meaning, and you hear that in their confusion. You look at verses 41 and 42. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? And it, it seeing what's going on here is, you know, you have this man. Put yourselves in their sandals. You have this man standing before you saying these things of himself. This is speaking to Jesus' absolute humanity such that they they don't have any categories to comprehend his absolute divinity. And so there's just this utter wall and barrier. They, They just don't know what to do with this. They can't hear him. They can't absorb it. But that's who he is, fully God, the one come down, the one come down. But why? Okay, that gets us to the next point. His mission why it is that he came so again verse 33 for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world skipping over to verse 51 I am the living bread that came down from heaven if anyone eats of this bread he will live forever and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh why did he come he came to die Don't miss what he's saying here. He came to give the bread. He came to, as he says, give his flesh. What else can that mean? He came to give his body. What else can that mean? He says, I came to give my life. What else can he mean? Why did he come? He came to to die. To die that we might live. Live. That we might know and experience everlasting, ever deepening life. This is the provision, the provision of the bread. This is who it is and why he has come. We really need to just really plant our feet hard on this point. Jesus is saying, I am not just another sage, I am not just another prophet or teacher. I am not just another healer, miracle worker, or revolutionary. I am not just another role model or example for you to follow. Now, there's elements of truth to all those things, but none of them are the full truth. Why did he come? He came to die that we might live. And that's what it means, partially, for him to be the bread of life, to die that we might live. And he longs that we would know that. It's part of why he's using this imagery. He so longs that you and I, this morning, in in these seats, in this place, even today, in this moment, that he longs for you as a person to know him as the bread of life, that you would live. How, that, how does that become ours? How does that become ours? Well, he speaks to that as, as well. So now we move into the partaking of the bread. We have not just the necessity of the bread and the provision of the bread, but Jesus also speaks to the partaking of the bread, helping us to grapple with how, how can this be ours? Well, Jesus says something I'm going to call an out. It gives an outlandish assertion. An outlandish assertion. Again, put yourself in the sandals of the people there. Imagine you've never heard these words before. Perhaps maybe that's true for you, some of you literally so right now. John 6, verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never an outlandish assertion, unless it's true, <laughs> it's an outlandish assertion that Jesus is making here. He's, he says, you must come to me. You must believe in me. And in, in the, what he means when he says that is going far beyond just an intellectual coming and an intellectual building. I mean, yes, it, it begins with facts, but it builds on facts. This is not just an intellectual knowledge. This is, what Jesus is speaking of here is a deeply, deeply intimate relational knowledge, a turning to, a trusting in, a relying upon Him more than any other. That's what He's speaking of here in terms of coming to Him and believing in Him. That sort of faith, that sort of step, not leap, But step, perhaps this might help. It it could be, an analogy would be, uh, let's say um, you're trying to discern should I hire this person or not? You're trying to discern should I bring this person on my team or not? Let's go even further, a bigger decision. Let's say you're talking marriage, either giving or accepting a proposal, okay? You can't have 100 certainty how it's going to play out sorry don't know if i didn't mean to pop your bubble there but it's true in, in the most important things of life you cannot have 100 percent certainty what you can do though is say based on what i know this is a reasonable step and that's exactly what jesus is saying here not a blind leap into the dark there's no such thing in christianity as a blind leap of faith just take that phrase and put it in the dumpster it is a step based on the reality of what I know and who he is to be. I move towards him. I rely upon him because of that. Okay, so this outlandish assertion, but, oh, Jesus doesn't stop there. Because if you keep reading through, John's, through John 6, he loses a bunch of hearers at this point because of this teaching. We didn't read that, but if you keep going, it's what you find. Why? because of what he says in verses 51 through 58. Let's read that again. And Jesus so knows that it's going to throw them that he says truly, truly, in the midst of it, to really say, pay, listen, pay attention to me, hear me. That's a Semitic way of, of saying that. Verses 51 to 58. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh the jews then disputed among themselves saying how can this man give us his flesh to eat so jesus said to them truly truly i say to you unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood you have no life in you do you see the degree to which this has to be offensive at a lot of different levels disgusting reprehensible horrific if you're really hearing what he's saying This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And it completely throws them. What is he talking about here? Is Jesus calling for cannibalism? Well, some took him that way. And in fact, if you read ancient critics of the early church... They heard Jesus' words. They heard what the Christians were saying in the context of the celebration of the Lord's Supper. And they accused them of being cannibals. It's true. Look it up. That's not what he means. That's not what he means at all. He's not speaking of something so earthy, if you will. But he's speaking here of true, intimate Utter reliance. He is saying, I am the one with whom you dine and upon whom you dine. I am the host for your life and I am the meal as well. I am your strength, I am all you have. And all you need. That's what he's saying. Implication. It is no mark of spiritual maturity whatsoever to go through the week doing it yourself, relying on yourself, depending on yourself, and stopping in here on a Sunday morning like it's a drive through for a quick tune-up. Jesus is speaking here of absolute utter dependence in all things in all ways upon him let's put it this way phrasing it in terms of a question what does it mean to be a Christian that's not a bad question to ask what does it mean to be a Christian there are great answers to that question some that can be using phrasing from the scriptures themselves. I'll give you a couple right off the top of my head. Uh, one would be, um, you have seen the value of the field and bought it. That's tapping an imagery from one of Jesus' parables. You've bought the field, Matthew 13. Or in several places in the Gospels. You have taken up your cross. You're doing so daily and following Him. Right? Those are images of what it means to be a Christian. But here are two more. Right here from John 6. It means you have come to Him. You believe in Him. You are eating His flesh and drinking His blood. You're everything Is his life for yours. In every way. Your everything. Is his life for yours. In everything. That's what it means to be a Christian. I don't know if that's what they told you. That's what Jesus says. He is the bread of life. And he wants us to know that. That we might have life. Now, as we're shifting here to the celebration of the Supper, perhaps another question that could be talked about and just thought through real quickly is this. Is what Jesus is saying in John 6 in any way about the Lord's Supper, right? Eating His flesh, drinking His blood, and and that sort of thing. Is, Is that related in any way to what we're about to do here? No and yes. No, in the sense that in no way is there any mention of that in John 6. And if you think in terms of where the disciples were and their understanding in that moment, there's no way Jesus could could have been speaking of that and they would have understood it in any way at all. So on the the one hand, no. But on the other hand, we do need to say this, that what this passage, what Jesus' words here convey in words, the sacrament does in action. Utter reliance upon Him. Utter reliance upon Him in in every way. We come and we believe. We come hungry. We come thirsty. We come with longing in our hearts to be reminded and renewed. We come turning, trusting, relying, looking to, leaning upon Him in every way. In every way. Paul is tapping into that in 1 Corinthians 11. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is a meal, and as such, uh, it, we are recognizing, we are acknowledging our need and looking to Jesus as our supply. Who then should partake? Those who know their need and know Jesus as their supply. So if that's not where you are here this morning in your heart's conviction, please, we would not want you to in any way to feel pressured to do with your body in action something that violates where you are in terms of your conscience and your heart, okay? Also, Paul is speaking to professing Christians Saying, if look, if you know yourself to be in um, violation, in rebellion, in violation of God's commands, in rebellion against His authority over your life, and two, he's saying you need to let this time go by. Let this be an opportunity that you might turn, repent, and take it as this moment as the gift that it is. Such as His love for His people, He longs. He longs to bring us into this moment that our minds would be drawn back to what he has done for us and our hearts would be renewed and refreshed. So if I may ask uh, the other ruling elders to come on up here. We're running a little short. We have, uh, as they cross the congregation, it is summer, right? Um, And what we're going to do is come up by sections. You have these uh, four sections and uh, four tables. Just come up row by row. And when the row in front of you has served themselves the bread and the cup and come back, then you go ahead and move forward. You folks, when their back is done, you guys come on and come ahead. Worship team, y'all got this figured out however you're doing it, right? I don't need to tell you I do that. Okay. And uh, let me pray. I'll also, a quick thing to just let you know that the bread is gluten-free, so if that's an issue for you, just want to make sure that you knew that as, as well. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this very tangible reminder of our dependence upon you and your provision for us. You have given us everything you possibly could, your very self, your very life that we might live. Oh, would you indeed remind. Oh, would you renew. For any here this morning who, who know themselves to be in a place because of where they stand in relation to you, that it wouldn't be right to take of the bread or the cup, would you help them? Help them to see your love for them They don't believe, but may they soon. For those who know themselves to be in rebellion against you, would you give them the grace of repentance? May they too know your love for them to see the freedom that comes in coming back to you. We pray these things in your name.